welcome to the show this week, another longtime friend. This is the, the second friend that I'm speaking to this week. I just had to talk to her, Claire Verkler. I first met you in seventh grade. We were in this awesome social studies and English program that I've talked about with Ben Simpson, with Shannon, a bunch of our friends. We came up that way with Mr. D, with Miss Blades. Shout out the best teachers that me and you probably nice. have ever had. Um, <laughs> so we collaborated together, worked together. You were an athlete. I was an athlete. We all had all the same friends. So we were just always in the same circles together. And uh, it's been a while since, since we last caught up. You went, you went off to, to Bentley for college. I went to Albany. We didn't see each other that much during the year. So I'm, uh, I'm super pumped that you're joining me today. So Claire, thank you. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to catch up to. Um, let's dive in. <laughs> let's go. So Claire, I think anyone who knows you or has come in your orbit before would probably describe you as perfect. Obviously, none of us are perfect. No one is. But listen, like, I love to flatter everyone, so I'm gonna I'm gonna flatter you here quickly. So Claire, right. <laughs> you have it all, okay? You came from a, a great family <clears throat> in a in a good hometown, got a great education in growing up, and then in college, you went to a great school. You're an elite athlete playing hockey, field hockey. You went on to play field hockey in college. You were very smart. You were always very near the the top of your class. You were obviously a very attractive girl. People just gravitate towards you. You've got a great laugh, a great personality. You're bubbly. You're fun to be around. You've ostensibly got it all. So that's, uh, it's. Let me tell you where you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll get into that later. I I do want to talk about that later, but I just kind of want to present you (laughs) as who you are. Um, So. When you texted me or when we were texting the other day to get you on the show, you dropped the bomb that you're in California now. I had no idea. So what brings you out to Cali? Uh, So it was kind of wild, but there's about eight of my best friends from college. We were all living in Boston together after we graduated from Bentley because that's just where everyone stays. We all get jobs in Boston and it's obviously fun to stay with all your friends right after graduation. Um, And we were actually mid pandemic in March. We were, lucky enough to stay at my parents' house in Hilton Head for a month and a half during like the peak of the quarantine, which was not a bad spot to be. Um, There was six of us in the house. We were just working and then obviously hanging out after. And it was a good time. Like we were in a much better spot than most people. So I'm forever grateful for that. Um, And we were sitting there one night on the beach and we were like, guys, like we want to go back to Boston after all of this. I don't know. This is just so great being by the water. Uh, we all are really active and like working out. So we were like, we don't want to be in the cold. Um, how long are we going to work from home for? And then we were throwing out ideas kind of not seriously, but being like, oh, we could go to Denver, we could, which is cold still, but to ski, we could go to like Austin, Texas. We could go to California. We were kind of just saying it all. And then during um, the end of the spring, my dad changed jobs. And he actually is going to be an hour north of where I am in San Diego, um, Dana Point, California. So my parents are currently driving cross country and making the move out with my dog and sold our Clifton Park house. um, And are like, they're just renting a house out here for now because they're not sure how long this job will be anywhere from two to five years. So for now they're renting, but I think that was a big Kickstarter into at least me saying, wait, guys, like, should we actually go to California? Should we do this? Like, because I wanted to be close to my parents still. Wow. Um, yeah. And then with all our, with all my friends, they're all business people. So we were all working from home and it wasn't a big deal to temporarily go somewhere else. Are you bummed that your parents sold the house you grew up in and that Clifton Park is no longer home for you? I was really bummed at first, but it also felt like the right move. I feel like being away in college and then I went to Thailand for a year. I just hadn't been home home for in a long time. Um, So I felt like it was the right move for them and obviously still sad, but there's so many people that if I go back to Clifton Park, Megan lives right down the street and Mrs. Gray is always like, come stay, come stay. So um, yes, bummed, but mostly excited because it just felt like the right next step for everyone. So what does your day-to-day life in California look like right now? Uh, Right now, it looks like waking up around 4.45 if I have meetings at 8, which I know for you, you have crazy hours, so that might be more normal, but I'm used to the 9 to 6 or like 
whatever the normal business hours are. So for me, that was in a little bit of an adjustment, but it's actually awesome because I end work around three every afternoon can go, um, we're four blocks from the beach. So we can go for a run, bike, like there's tons of really cool places and restaurants around that just opened since the California stay at home order was lifted last week. So starting to explore some of those, but honestly, it really just looks like working from like somewhere in my room and then going to work out and hanging out with my two roommates. So it's pretty fun. So this is a pretty awesome benefit that you have at your company Deloitte, where you can just, where there's no home base for you. There's no certain place where you need to be. So you can tinker around with living in different places. Do you foresee just kind of bouncing around a year here, a year there, or do you think this will be a long-term thing for you? It's still up in the air for sure. I kind of am ready to settle somewhere for a little bit just because I have been bumping around since I graduated for like two years now, it feels like. Um, still open to like a couple more moves, but if if I like it as much as I have in the first month, then I would be open to staying for at least a year or two and then kind of reevaluating. Right now we're just in this um, rental for six months and then once summer hits, we'll see how it's going. <laughs> Yeah. In my first year or two, just being out on my own in the professional world, I had this vision of just bouncing around from place to place, maybe spending two years here, three years there, a year here, just because mm -hmm. I, I just love the freedom of not being bogged down in any one place. Like I didn't want to buy a house anywhere just because I would feel, you know, if I put that big of an investment somewhere, I would have to stay there. So I, I am kind of jealous of you that you've been able to bounce around and see where, you know, what, what you like. I do want to ask you when you try to think, this is something I, I've been just thinking about recently in terms of, okay, if you want to build your ideal lifestyle, what does it look like? So for Claire Verkler in your perfect world, what does your life look like and where would it be taking place? Great question. I ask myself that literally every day. <laughs> um, in my current mindset here in California, I love the placement where I'm close to the beach. My friends and I went skiing to, um, up to big bear last Friday. It was about a three hour drive, way better skiing than we have at home. So you get all the climates, which is a strange sensation. Um, but then again, I would love having all my friends and family near me. So that's the only reason I don't foresee staying here forever. Um, I don't know. It's a hard, it's hard, but, and I also, I love my job now and what I'm doing um, with technology is really interesting, but I am such like a on the move person that I just don't know if I'm going to want to be at a desk job for the next 40 years. Like I, I'm not sure. Right. I would love to do some type of like house remodeling HGTV. Uh, my dad and I tiled a shower this summer. So I think I can just do any type of home remodel now. <laughs> We'll see. I'm, uh, I'm glad you, you realized that. And I'm kind of realizing that too. I wish I'd had the foresight at 17, 18 years old when we were trying to figure out what to do with our life. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world that we are asked to figure that out. I'm a very active person. Uh, but at that time when we were making those decisions, me and you were both athletes. We didn't know what it was like to not be an athlete. So we never really yeah. realized how, how much movement and exercise and being on the go meant to us until we didn't have it anymore. So I am jealous of friends that I've had on the show, like my girl, Sam, she's a physical therapist, Taylor, an occupational therapist. She knew, they both knew that they didn't want to be at a desk. They knew that they wanted to be on their feet all the time. I wish I'd come to that realization because I really don't like sitting behind a desk for X amount of hours a day. Even right now, I'm dealing with a bunch of issues in like my elbows and my oh, shoulder from scrolling and typing, and it's a mess. And I wish I had, had realized that you know, being on your feet, like being a teacher or whatever other job uh, mm -hmm. that you can have would be cool. It's, a, it's also hard because during quarantine, it's so different. Specifically, my job, yes, it's a desk job, but normally Monday morning, I would be up flying somewhere, walking through a city, getting to the office that I'm going to. And then the same thing would happen on Thursday afternoon. So at least that's almost a full day when you add it together of time not spent just sitting at a desk. You're at least moving and same for you like if you have meetings in an office you're getting up and moving exactly there, home, there's just far less yeah there's far less built-in movement to your days 
because now you just slack a coworker or text yeah. a coworker, but before you just swing over to their desk or you walk to get lunch, whatever, to have a conversation. So I, uh, I definitely miss that. Now for, for your company, as you just alluded to, Monday through Thursday, pre-COVID, you were on the go, being in different yeah. places around the country. What was that like? Um, obviously, graduating, being a new hire, it was so fun. I was getting to fly to different clients, be exposed to different cities. I think it was on my third, and this is like, they're, my company is paying for me to do these things because it's part of my job, but I'm getting airline points. I'm getting expense, expense dinners, all the things of the corporate America that they sell you on were happening. And I was taking it. <laughs> um, but I think it was my third flight. I was flying from Boston to New York city at the when I first started, which wasn't far either. So that was nice. I think it was my third time on a Monday morning. I got upgraded to first class and I was like, what is going on? It was me and a bunch of like 50 year old dads sitting up in the front of the plane, <laughs> wow. which I also thought to myself in that moment, I need to like, I need to keep working so I can be up here when I'm 45 and there's some other new hire girl and they're not just looking at a bunch of older men, man. I used to think I was I was big time when ESPN put me up in the the double tree and put a little cookie on my bed. But that's yeah. awesome flying first class. I mean, that did not happen all the time. But yeah, at, yeah. On my third flight, I was excited. <laughs> that's actually that's on my bucket list, flying first class. My life's bucket list. I literally have it written out. Never done before, but I would like to at some point. So for those of us who haven't experienced it, what is it like? <laughs> Um, it was a really short flight, so I don't think I reaped all the benefits, uh, but I did get a free meal and there was some extra leg room. So, okay. Plus. I don't know. I just feel like in the movies, they, they really jack it up to be something crazy. So it doesn't, doesn't live up to it. I don't know. I think I have to, on my bucket list would be first class from New York to Europe or something where yeah. you have a lot of time to soak it all in. For sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cool. But what was the, was the lifestyle of just like, you're, cause you're constantly on the go. I mean, as, as fun as traveling is and going to do other places, the actual act of traveling, of do, going through security, of packing and unpacking and just never being able to, cause we obviously have all these routines, right? You can't get into any yeah. routine in that lifestyle. So was that difficult? There's absolutely no routine. You're hundred percent right. My business clothes would be so wrinkled when I took them out in the hotel. I'm sure, you know, um, waking up Monday morning, super early to catch the flight. So you could be in the office by nine when the clients are there. Obviously that's not ideal. There's things that aren't great about it, but I think I was used to not having a routine because I had done the gap year after I graduated in Thailand. So I weirdly was adapted already to having no routine. Okay kept it going. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So since you alluded to it, this is the subject that I, I want to talk with you. So let, let me see if I have the story straight. I've only heard it through third party people, <clears throat> Tori LaRose. Uh, so you graduate from Bentley and mm -hmm. you pretty much have a job from Deloitte on the table. And you say, Hmm, this is awesome, but I think I want to take a year off. And then the company would like, like you got a, you got a sign on bonus or whatever. And so you, you got to keep that. And then <laughs> you would, it sounds you, crazy. you'd take your gap year and then would come back to the company. Your job is still intact. And then you resume your life in Boston as is. But with that gap year, you decided to go be a teacher in Thailand, an English teacher in Thailand. Yep. Okay. So most of that's how, right. How, the only crazy part is that it was even bef at the very end of graduation uh, or the very end of school before graduation, before I even knew, like I hadn't moved home or anything. And I was just feeling super wild. And I told my parents the day of graduation, Hey, by the way, I think my best friend Sydney and I want to go do this, but it's okay because they said, Deloitte said I could keep my job. So you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> what did they say? Uh, my mom was flabbergasted and just couldn't understand what I was saying and I was telling them on graduation day. And then I said to my dad, dad, I know this seems crazy, but if I don't do this now, I'm going to work for two years and have a mental breakdown and then want to go do it. So that just won't be good for my career if I do that. 
and my dad's very practical. So he was like, that still sounds crazy, but I understand your logic here. So go for it. Wow. So how did that opportunity uh, arise? So uh, one of my best friends from college, Sydney, she's from New Hampshire and she had a friend who had done the exact same thing, a little bit different. I guess she, I don't know at what time in life, I think she was a little bit older than us, but she had went to Thailand, took a one month teaching course and that, which, and the course that we did was the exact same program. Um, and that program is really good and helped connect you with different schools that would then hire you as an English teacher. So this girl that I don't know, I'm taking secondhand information from Sydney. She's giving us information, but not super detailed. And we're like, okay, uh, let's just, let's just do it. So we booked flights and we had our course, our teaching course. Um, it's a certificate called teaching English as a foreign language. It's only for a month. So it's not near an education degree in the U S but it at least gives you some of the basics of how to teach English to someone that does not speak English as their native language. Um, so we had enrolled in this course. So that's all we had, the enrollment in this course and our flight to Thailand, which was on a certain island, island, excuse me. And we didn't know where we were going to go after that first month in our heads. We were like, well, if we have to go home after that, cause we can't get a job, we'll just book a flight home. We'll figure it out. Wow. Okay. So uh, did you have any hesitation in going over there or were you just like you said, your parents, Hey, I'm doing this. It's weird how you can have so much trust in someone. I think Sydney and I both just really trusted each other in the mindset of like, hey, we'll figure this out. We're not, neither of us were tied to an exact plan of we're getting there. We're teaching in this location, um, this grade. And if it doesn't work out, like we're going home. We both were really open to it. And I think if we hadn't been able to get jobs, we probably would have bounced around for a little. And then when we had no money, then we would have been like, okay, let's go home. <laughs> okay. So what happened after that first month? Yeah. So after that first month, also insane, the story doesn't sound real when I tell people or when I recite it back in actual words outside of my mind. So in Thailand, they ha use Facebook for job postings a little bit different than here. Like it's like LinkedIn or Indeed or any of the job posting sites. So we're on Facebook looking for jobs. It's about to start the new semester. So there was kind of a mini time crunch. Ideally, we would be there at the beginning of the semester when it's when school starts. Um, we found a, a couple options that weren't in amazing locations. They were in suburbs outside of Bangkok. So they would have been okay. But obviously, our ideal location going to Thailand would either be somewhere near a cool beach or in Bangkok or in one of the major cities, not like in the countryside of Thailand. Um, so we thought we were gonna go with one of those. It would, it would be an all girls school. So I was really excited about that. And we also were going to be able to teach them sports. So since we both played field hockey in college, we thought that would be fun. But then about a week or two before we had to make a final decision, there's this job on Facebook that comes up in Phuket, Thailand, which is the Southern part of Thailand where all the islands are. People go there for vacation. It's the beautiful blue water. And we apply, there's two positions, which is also bizarre um, because we want to stay together at the same school. And then they contact us. They're like, okay, let's do an interview. All, this is all in broken English also. So we're trying to decipher what's going on. And then we asked our original teacher from our course, like, hey, do you think this would be good? And from her reaction, we thought it was a scam. We thought it wasn't real because it seemed too good to be true. It was a really good school that was kind of part private, part public, um, essentially meaning in Thailand, there's private school like we have here, a lot of international kids and you pay a lot of money to go. Then there's straight public school paid for by taxes. And then there was kind of this middle tier, which is where we ended up teaching. And it's still a government school paid for by taxes. But if the kids want to be in the English program, then their parents will pay X amount of money to have them be in the specific English classes with native um, English speakers. So long story short, we ended up getting that job, um, but we had taken, I think we had two or three weeks before the semester started. So 
we took a trip. Uh, we got on a flight and flew to Northern Thailand, which is called Chiang Mai. And it's more of a mountainous, um, like hiking, fun stuff like that area. So we were on a little mini vacation. And then during that, we started seeing really cool uh, artisan products and jewelry and bags. I mentioned it a little to you earlier. And Sydney and I started buying all of this stuff, literally carrying it around with us because we were thinking in our heads, um, we both went to business school. We both love like urban outfitters, anthropology, basic white girl stores <laughs> overpriced. And the stuff that we were seeing was in all those um, or the stuff from those stores we were seeing in Thailand for so cheap, um, handmade. So meanwhile, we're trying to figure out how to go back to this school that we're supposed to be teaching at in a couple of weeks. And we're also adding bags and bags of bulk items that we're going to lug across Thailand with us. <laughs> all right. There's so much to unpack here. I know. Uh, sorry. I, that was kind of all over the place. Do you no, want me to just finish no. the school story? <laughs> no, no. I love it. Hold on. Okay. So the, first of all, were the students receptive to, I mean, cause you're a white girl from America. You're not like them whatsoever. How did they perceive you? Mm -hmm. Great question. And we got super lucky. So as I just mentioned, the three different tiers of schools, that lowest tier of just public school, sometimes not from great areas, often is not receptive or respectful to white teachers because they don't understand what you're saying and also they just don't care. So the school that we were in, since the parents were paying for them to be in the special English program, the kids definitely had more interest by force of their parents. Um, we, I was teaching fifth and sixth grade English, math, and science. So English was just normal English class as we would take Spanish class as a second language. But then the way that it worked with math and science is that they would have three days a week, their Thai teacher would teach them about the rock cycle in Thai. And then the other two days a week, they would come to us and I would teach them the same exact content that they just learned about the rock cycle in English. Oh. So much different model than what we use. Um, for learning languages. But back to your original question, yes, the kids that I had were so awesome. They were super respectful. Sometimes they're kids, they're fifth and sixth graders. So yeah, they would be crazy during class or yell and hit their friend, but nothing, they were always excited to see us. And I think that's what made it so fun. And it genuinely didn't feel like we were working. So I don't have a good hold on what the socioeconomic picture is in Thailand in that in the region in which you were working how different was the schooling system compared to what you knew in America in terms of the resources allotted to it the classroom etc so um it's actually funny I know you had Michaela on a couple of weeks ago or something but it's on my way home from Thailand I stopped and saw her and we talked about how our schools were and if they were similar or different. And even though she's in the US, it almost sounded like my school in Thailand was a little bit better suited economically. And I think that's because we were in a really touristy area. So a lot of the parents were supported by that industry. Um, obviously Thailand's still a developing country. So by no means was, was it built up um, the same way that we expect things to be here in the US. The school was, kind of what you would see in Florida or California where it was inside classrooms, but all the hallways were outside. Um, so that was obviously, that was fun just being in a tropical area like that. And they had a huge auditorium area that was outside where we would have morning, morning meetings every um, day. So that was also exciting to see, but materials wise, we did end up buying a lot of our own materials just because we wanted to give the, kids a more exciting experience and we wanted like for science we did where you put the um what is it what candy do you put in uh soda to make it Mentos. yeah we put so we had to like that's not even expensive but just an example to right. help kids learn about gases versus liquids um we put we did the mentos experience experiment where they could put it in soda obviously they all just wanted to eat the mentos and drink <laughs> it afterwards um but things like that, if it was any special materials, then we would have to go get those. 
but they all had pencils and paper and backpacks, which I think we were really lucky. How fulfilling was, was teaching Thai kids English and other subjects? I think it was extremely fulfilling, learned so much, but at the same time, I don't want to take too much credit away because there's so many teachers out there that are doing much, much harder work. We were so lucky in the area that we were in that the kids did have paper, pencils, backpacks, and they had had English teachers growing up since kindergarten. So it's not like we were a true anomaly in their life. Um, Still so happy that I was able to be part of their education experience. And I like to think that they actually enjoyed me versus some of the other um, English teachers that were there. Like some people weren't there for the same reasons to give back or just do good because they wanted to. Some people were there from other English speaking countries around the world because they needed to make a living and they could make more money teaching in Thailand than they could back home. So they didn't necessarily want to be there teaching. Um, So in that respect, the kids liking me, the kids having a good time and the kids learning, super fulfilling. Do you ever think you'll do teaching again? I've been thinking about this since I said I don't want to sit all day. Um, I don't think I would want to do online teaching, but some type of teaching in a classroom or if I have some type of life crisis, I would definitely go back to Thailand and do it all over again. (laughs) Okay. Uh, well, knowing you, you don't have any life crises. So, um, <laughs> if I just drop my, if my job is driving me so crazy that I need to do something else. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's possible. Um, all right. So just lifestyle wise, what were the biggest differences? Cause I mean, obviously, you know, as Americans, we have stereotypes about every place in the world and obviously a lot of them are not true. So mm-hmm. in, in Thailand, what were just the biggest cultural differences that you notice? Cause I imagine there's a lot. That's a can of worms right there that you're opening. Um, honestly, so many, just starting with Thailand itself. I think, I mean, I don't, I didn't have a stereotype of Thailand before I went other than it's beachy and pretty everywhere you go. So the one correction there is that it's still a developing country. There's garbage around. There's right. not good electricity. Um, there's just not great infrastructure in general. And it's pretty normal to see a huge family living in a one bedroom place with like a a kitchen. And it's not like, I don't want to make it sound horrible and like a shack because these places were still nice. They had tile floors, they had real walls and ceilings, and they might even have um, air conditioning. But for them, it was just so much more normal to have mattresses like right next to each other and the four kids would sleep in the living room all together type of thing. Um, so that was interesting. And then between Bali and Thailand, I think it was just an awakening to understand that when people see blonde white girls, they're automatically going to assume you have money and that you like should give them something or that you're a target. You immediately become a target if you're in a bad area. So I guess it could be anywhere in the world, but specifically in some of the tourist locations, I think from Australians and just other people visiting, um, they kind of get the wrong impression. So that's interesting. And then from teaching, we taught with mostly South Africans and Russians. So um, not Thai, but we... I learned so much about uh, South African culture because two of my best friends ended up being from South Africa that were other teachers. And that's um, kind of what I was alluding to with the, they have to come to make more money. These two girls that we became friends with did love teaching and they were there for the right reasons, but South African economy is so bad right now that um, both of them had marketing degrees, the same that me and my friend had. And they could make, I think it was double in Thailand teaching than they could in South Africa doing an actual marketing job, wow. corporate job. And then I, I tried to put that into perspective for them. And I was like, guys, like this is four times less uh, teaching. I'm making four times less than what I would be in a corporate job in America per month. So for them, that was just mind boggling to try to understand, okay, we're making a lot in Thailand. Imagine if we could get into the U S. Um, so that was kind of sad, but 
exciting also that they were there making the most of it. Um, and then Russians are just wild, honestly. <laughs> They're the ones that would go out and party and club in Phuket until I don't even know what hour. So I strayed away from that a little bit. <laughs> anytime that I go on, you know, anytime I go traveling outside of the country, I, I do always come back with, you know, a lesson learned about myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, j- just this, my, my last travel was snuck it in just before COVID, but I, I went to, to Norway and to Denmark nice. and I went solo and I wanted to go solo. And, um, the big takeaway I kind of had from that trip was, you know, maybe, maybe on day five after being by myself in these amazing places. I mean, Copenhagen was such a cool place, such a cool city, but I had been on my own for so long by that point, figuring everything out on my own. You're obviously on a, in, in a different country. I felt lonely and I kind of mm-hmm. realized that, um, you know, like Dave Matthews says, it's not where, but who you're with that really matters. So that was kind of the thing that I took away is that Troy, wherever you go in your life, you need to be surrounded by people that you care about because it does not, you can be in the coolest place in the world, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not sharing it with anyone. So that's a lesson that, that, that I learned from my travels. I'm wondering what lessons you learned about yourself and yours. Yeah. Um, love that lesson. Also, I would say I agree with that. Luckily I've made amazing friends. So I kind of, even though I still cared about the people at home, I surrounded myself with new great people. And you got your family coming out. So yeah. Yes. Um, I think the biggest lesson that I learned was just uh, I'm a lot stronger than you think. And I haven't really talked about any of the negatives of this trip, which I can touch on in a second, but it's not like every day I woke up and just thought, Oh, I'm on vacation in a tropical Island. It was like, no, I have to go figure out how to make a lesson plan for like, eight classes, uh, and reteach myself the rock cycle or like, (laughs) yeah, like there were so many things that we had learned that I genuinely had to reteach myself. Um, and I also didn't go to school for education. I didn't really know how to make a lesson plan or how to get materials to like teach kids lessons that they would be engaged in instead of just running around the classroom the whole time. Um, and then on the weekends, we would travel places. And I think the a lesson from that was just learning to overcome when things go wrong. Like how you had jokingly said in the beginning, everything always seems perfect. And I definitely used to really like to schedule things out and pre-plan and have it ready to go. Um, life just doesn't work that way. Like things are going to go wrong. Yeah. So between college and just post-grad, I think I learned it's way less stressful. You can have an idea in your head, but there's no sense in planning the whole thing out because it's never going to go exactly as planned. So just save yourself the stress and don't do it. (laughs) Um, There was times where our flights got canceled. We didn't have anywhere to stay, had to book somewhere last minute. Like these aren't things that that are the end of the world, but if I had had it super planned out, it would have seemed like the end of the world. Um, we were, we, meaning my friend, Sydney and I, we went to Bali on the kids spring break. It was a two week period. Um, not a bad place to go, but we were going to take our mopeds and go into the mountains in Bali. And there was a cool, um, tent place that we could go. Like it was kind of camping, glamping. It was glamping. Um, And when we were going there, the drivers are so crazy. There's no traffic patterns. It could be a red light. Someone just goes through and it's normal. Like there's no rhyme or reason to any of the way they drive. So we were going up through the mountains and this, I'm telling the story because it goes with the whole lesson of things are going to happen that you're not expecting. So you just have to roll with it. Um, So we're going to the mountain Sydney's riding in front of me. We get through the city. We think we're out of the crazy traffic. We're going probably 30 miles per hour through the hills. We haven't seen a town in so long. We're so excited. We're coming to a town. Um, she's riding in front of me and we're both like, oh yeah, we're so hungry. Like, let's get some snacks at the gas station. So she's going to turn into the gas station. A crazy driver is coming. Um, she, I'm behind her. She turns. She gets hit by the car. So me in my mind for the 10 seconds before this happened, saw it all and was like, oh my God, like 
no, this can't be real. What like we're in the middle of nowhere right now and we do not speak Indonesian. Um, so she has a huge camping backpack on, flies off of the motor scooter, luckily has a helmet on. I roll up panicking. Um, I also usually faint when there's a lot of blood. So that's a small detail to keep in mind. She's bleeding like out of her whole head, like from under where her helmet was. So I start freaking out, obviously. That's, I think, a normal reaction. Um, She can't really move because she's pinned down from her backpack. And then the car driver gets out and starts yelling at me. And I'm like, um... I just start yelling, doctor, doctor, hospital, like, cause she wasn't, she couldn't get up yet. And I didn't know from her head bleeding how bad it was. They start yelling at me. They're tra- Google translating. You give me money. You give me money. Sydney's still laying on the ground. I'm yelling, doctor, doctor, help. Like any simple words that I can think of. Luckily the gas station guy is so nice. Comes out, like moves our stuff out of the road. She eventually stands up they're still yelling. The car driver and his girlfriend are yelling at us. I get them to agree to drive her to a doctor that's down the street while me and the driver's girlfriend stay at the gas station to figure out the money. Um, But at that point, I didn't know if she was okay. So I was like, just bring her to the doctor. I'll find her later. We also did not have cell phone service. We were using downloaded Google Maps. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, take her away to some random place. Maybe I'll find her later. <laughs> oh my God. Um, everything ended up being okay. So long story short, we eventually, I start running away from the woman saying, give me money because I'm Google translating. You hit her. No, you give me money. <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to run to the doctor. You can come with me if you want, because it was about a mile down the road. So now I'm r- running down the road with my hiking backpack on the back of me and Sydney's hiking backpack on the front of me. Why she didn't bring it in the car, I don't know. So I'm like running down the road, feeling like I'm in military training or something or what I assume it would be like. And then eventually get to the doctor. She's in there getting stitches, which is good. She just ended up needing a couple stitches. So no, no big deal. And her leg, no big deal, meaning it could have been a lot worse. Um, and then the people are still waiting for money. Eventually the stitches are taking a long time. So they leave. So essentially they do a hit and run because they're getting worried that her injuries are worse than what they thought and that they're actually going to owe us money or something. So they leave. We don't have to worry about that. But now she has stitches and we're supposed to go about five to 10 miles up the road to this glamping place because it's too far to turn around and go back. It was like 6 PM getting dark. So then it starts downpouring, obviously, and you're not supposed to get stitches wet. So we're like, oh, great. This is superb. So then the doctor calls his taxi friend, since there's no Uber or Lyft or anything in that area. Um, and he's like, oh, my friend will bring you. Leave your motor scooters here and pick them up tomorrow on your way back. So this is all in broken English again. So we're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. But all we know is that they're calling us a taxi. So it's literally just his friend in a taxi, taxi in a car. And he's like, yeah, I'll drive you there. Like, give me this amount of cash. And we're like, okay, great. And still we don't have service. We just have Google maps downloaded offline. So we plug in the name, um, drive about 10 miles up the road, still further into the mountain and then get dropped off. Don't see it, but we're like, oh, you can drop us off here. It says it's nearby. Like we just need to go up this driveway or something. And it wasn't raining when he dropped us off. So we weren't worried. We ended up walking up and down a hill probably for 30 minutes trying to find this place. Um, and she can't really walk that well because she has stitches in her leg too. Yeah. <laughs> Starts downpouring again. And so she gets the stitches completely wet. And then we find this little actual shack to have like some fried rice at because we couldn't find our hotel clamping place. And at this point it's dark out and we're walking on the side of the street. (laughs) Um, And then we asked the people at the fried rice place and they told us it was down the street a little bit in a direction we hadn't went. And then we got there and we were the only people staying at this place because it was new. 
Um, so we had a romantic evening in our glamping tent, uh, watching a movie on my computer. And then we went home the next day. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's wild. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Not related to teaching, but kind of a crazy story. No, it's definitely a crazy story. And I'm glad that you, you referenced that things uh, are not always perfect. I, I guess that was my, that, that was going to be one of my questions was just, you are in a foreign place. I mean, Eastern culture is completely different from Western culture, different mm -hmm. languages. It's just you and your friend. How scared were you during that whole time because of just the unfamiliarity? I think, I mean, I was so scared. I think we were both so scared, but we both kind of, I wasn't even hiding it. It was just that we had no other option. So we had to keep moving on and figuring out the next thing because there was no time to be scared or to sit down and be like, oh, I'm really scared. I don't know what we're going to do right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously scared and looking back, it's like, wow, that was insane. I hope that never happens again. But it was almost like a fight or flight. Like, obviously, right. this isn't the worst thing ever, but it was a fight or flight mentality just because we did have to find a place to sleep that night. And we didn't have like, like, you can't use credit cards there. So we had X amount of cash. Like, there were restrictions where it was like, okay, this isn't ideal, but we'll figure it out. Right. Okay. Wow. Well, that sounds like an awesome experience. I'm so glad that you got to do that. Um, but I think I speak for all of us when I say that. You know, glad that you're back in America. Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got two, I know you got to run. So I got two unconnected questions. So, I mean, you mentioned a great friend, Sydney. Uh, you have a great friendship from Clifton Park with Megan, with Tori, with Kendall. Yeah. It's the stuff of legends. The four of you, you guys have been friends forever, <laughs> grew up together. You guys are still best friends. Just, um, you know, how do you go about keeping that, you know, those relationships like super close to you today? How, how do you keep it intact? Yeah, no, I'm so, so lucky to have them. We've been best friends since like third grade, maybe before that for some of us. Um, I mean, I think I can speak for everyone specifically from Clifton Park and Shen. Like some people just have such deep friendships that no matter where you go in the world or like what you're doing, you're always going to be able to come back to your roots and um, pick up where you left off. But it's not even that. I think all of us just make an active effort when we were home um, in college and like in the summers, um, we just always make an effort to see each other. And then now Megan and Tori are both living in Boston. So it's unfortunate that they got there right when I left, right. but uh, that's exciting and they can see each other more often. And then Kendall's actually probably going to be moving to Boston in the next year or two. So at some point, hopefully I make it back there to yeah. um, hang out in my original city with yeah. them. They might come out to California in May. So that would be really fun. But yeah, I think overall we just like, you know, FaceTime text, everyone has that, which makes it so much easier. And then just make an effort to see each other whenever we can. Good. Yeah, that's really important. Um, a couple, a couple of us have spoken on the show before, just about how the home friendships—they just mean more than you know, as, as close as you can be with someone from college or from mm -hmm. your professional life. Now, it's just different, just because you know those Megan, Tori, Kendall for you, B. Sib, Shannon for me—they've seen you grow. They've seen you through every stage of your life. They know your story. They know where you come from. They know your families. They. They know everything about you. So it, it's super. There's things you don't have to explain. Like you just you don't, don't have, have to, to go into depth. I mean, even I think I mentioned this in the beginning, but when I was coming home from the Thailand trip, I had to fly the California direction. So Michaela was in Hawaii at that point, And I grew up down the road from Michaela too. literally yeah. have been her since kindergarten. So at that point it was kind of the let's make an effort. Obviously yeah. it was so fun and exciting to be able to stop in Hawaii. But part of it was me wanting to see my friend who I hadn't seen in a long time. And I made an effort to stop and stay with her and kind of get to see her new life. Isn't that so wild? I, I do this exercise in my own mind sometimes where, you know, if you had told me X number of years ago that I'd be doing Y now, yes. like if I had told you <laughs> in, in cult lit that, um, Hey, when you're 23, Two twenty-three. you're going to be just coming off from a year teaching English in Thailand and you're going to go be sitting on a rock in Hawaii with Michaela. Yeah. Like what? 
Well, even with Tori and Megan Kendall, we always laugh about that too, because even in high school or college, who would have guessed me going to college outside of Boston, um, them around in different areas, we never would have guessed who would have ended up in which city. And I know so many other Clifton Park people are moving um, to fun cities at this point now too, which is unexpected. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. So when we were texting, you brought up a, a book to me that, that I was not familiar with. I love a good book recommendation. I take any recommendation, whether it's book, music, restaurant, coffee shop, whatever, I take it very seriously. So um, <laughs> I, I want you to tell me about this book, The Defining Decade. What, what is it about? My ride or die book. It's some people might consider it cheesy. It's like a self-help book. I'm here for it. You said you're into that. Yeah. Um, so I was introduced to this book my senior year of college was extremely fun, but extremely, extremely overwhelming in the sense of I held myself to such a high standard. As you said, like we've always been in the good classes. We've always had that next step always laid out for us. And I think the senior fall during corporate recruiting really hit me so hard because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I wanted to be. I had just gone through a pretty serious breakup. Like there was so many things changing that I had no definitive next step. Yep. Um, and luckily at all, I'm so lucky that it, I was surrounded by amazing people and it all worked out because of the help I received and X, Y, and Z. But, um, that partially why also that I took that gap year in Thailand, because I got this amazing corporate job. I wasn't ready to go into the corporate world. I just wasn't in the right headspace, um, for me to be confident and productive and be like the corporate success story that I wanted to be, um, so I read it that senior spring and it kind of just motivated me for Thailand, for postgrad, just for like general good outlook in life. It's kind of saying, hey, obviously, you know, your 20s are important. It's when th things happen that are going to lay out other opportunities in your life. But the main takeaway that I had from it was just you can always sit back. It's so easy to sit back. Everyone can do that. But it's a lot harder to make yourself uncomfortable and choose those pathways that you know might not be easy. Um, but if you choose those, there's going to be so many more doors that open of opportunity because the more people you meet, the more places you go, the more things you do, you're always just continuously learning and adding kind of to your uh, personal resume or whatever you want to call it. Like you're just adding and adding and it's, you're never going to have a negative thought on it. You're going to look back and either be like, that was really bad, but I learned so much from it. Or like, that was amazing. And I want to do it again. So pretty much it's just saying, take control of what's yours now, because you don't want to be 40 looking back and saying, what Amen. if I did this or what if I did that? Amen. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you said that. Cause I think about that all the time one of my biggest gotta fears. read it then yeah no one, one of my biggest fears in life is regret um but more so regretting not doing something than regretting doing something i can live with uh, maybe i shouldn't have done that but i can live with that but you know there's certain things that i want to do in my life that if i never do i know when i'm 60 years old i will look back and, yeah. and regret that so you've uh, you just inspired me a bit here as i have some some things changing in my life some some uncertain paths that i may be going down so uh more to come on that. But Claire, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been, it's been awesome catching up with you, hearing your stories. Uh, I still maintain that you are just, just one of the best people I know, one of the most well-rounded people I know. You're killing it out here. I'm so proud of you. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck with everything you got going on. Same to you, Troy. And thanks so much for having me. So that was an awesome conversation with Claire Burkler one of the best people I know. She just got so much going on for her. Some people just get really lucky and she's just gotten really lucky in her life. She gets a lot of good bounces going her way. But of course, like she said, life is not perfect and there are struggles along the way. Things do not go according to plan. And I talked with her a lot before the podcast, after the podcast, and we basically were just being inspired by each other's attitude mindset of you just got to do it. Okay. You don't want to live with regret. You don't want to look back on your life and regret, maybe not so much regret doing something, but regret not doing something. That is one of my biggest fears in life. I never want to look back 
on my life when I'm 50 years old, 60 years old, and think, what if I had done that? I'd so much rather think, and what if I hadn't done that? But looking back on my life, I, I, there's, I, I am terrified by the fact of maybe never pressing the trigger on something that I really wanted to do. And so I think Claire kind of embodies that in her life. There's things, yes, you're supposed to go. This is the roadmap that she kind of outlined in that book that she was talking about. We all are fed this roadmap, okay? You go to high school, you go to college, you get a job. But every, there's always kind of a next step, right? There's always something that is mapped out for you. But kind of like Claire alluded to in our conversation, she was kind of freaking out her final year of college because that, that next step wasn't so clearly defined. And so she needed some more time to figure it out. So she took that gap here. And I'm so glad she took that gap here. I think it should be way more encouraged in American society to take a gap year because whether it's you're entering college, you're 18, you don't know what you want to do. Or even maybe after college, you still don't know what you want to do. That's totally okay. In other parts of the world, that is encouraged. In other parts of the world, they say, they tell you, hey, if you don't have it all figured out right now, that's okay. Take some time for yourself, do things you want to do, figure yourself out, and then go from there. Whereas in America, we ingrain it in people that if you don't have it figured out, you are a failure, that you are a low life, that you're going nowhere. And that's got to change. And I'm so glad that Claire didn't get caught up in the, I got to go, go, go. I have to figure, have to get this figured out. She said, no, I'm going to figure myself out first, have a good life, live a, a rich full life, full of experiences and going new places and trying new things and meeting new people and not psyching herself out of all of that. And so Claire has gotten some amazing opportunities because she has just gone headfirst into it without being scared. And so I, I have so much respect for Claire and for the, the life that she is living. And I'm so proud to know her. I'm so glad that she joined me on today's podcast. And I hope you guys all found some great value in it. So the Troy Parker Show, thank you for listening. Download, subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. This was the second conversation with a friend that came out this week. I just really want to talk to some friends. Uh, big news today that came out. Uh, I'm signing some paperwork right now. That is all I'll say. But we've got big things planned for the Troy Parker Show in 2021. I'm so thankful for everyone who has joined, who has supported me, who has offered me good words, who has listened, everyone that has helped out make this what it is and what it is going to be. Uh, I'm thankful for that. So there's way more to come on that. Uh, but I promise in the very near future, I will be able to talk about it. So thank you for listening to Troy Farka show. Download, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. I know I already said it, but if you like what you're hearing, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, slide into my DMs. They are open, I promise. Send me a pigeon, send me an owl, however you want to communicate with me. I'm all ears. I love talking to people as you can tell. I'll be back next week, but until then, peace and love, y'all. Peace and love. <laughs>